Welcome to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. I'm Jeremy Shear, and my guest is Steve Hexter, Director of Content and Communications at Stencil, a platform for collaborative email creation. And Steve is here to talk about a really interesting topic, namely educating your audience about a problem they don't even know that they have. Steve, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Jeremy. It's really great to be here with you, and thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So so let's dive right into it. Educating your audience about a problem is one thing. Educating them about a problem they're not even necessarily aware of is a whole different level of challenge. So, so first of all, let's kind of explain what we're talking about. So say a few words about Stencil, like what you guys do, and, and then what is the problem that you're educating your audience about that they might not even be aware of? Well, as you said, Stencil is a uh, platform for collaborative email creation. And what we are doing is disrupting a market where people have been doing something the way they always have for about 20 years. And what they've been doing is creating email in a way that's too complicated, takes too much time, and more often than not is too costly, both in terms of the cost of creating that email and the cost of having people not do on your team, people on your team, not do what you really want them to do, what they're best suited at. We automate a number of processes in a way that relieves them from having to do monotonous manual aspects of email creation. And in the process, we make that overall email creation process much more efficient. So the people then have time to be more strategic and have a bigger impact on email performance such that it has a bigger impact on the business performance. I imagine that at a lot of companies and, you know, the companies that are your customers, your prospects, they've been doing like any company, they've been emailing for years, right? For decades, ever since email began. And they probably, a lot of them think like, well, we're, you know, yeah, email can be kind of a hassle, but we're just doing it the way we've always done it. Like, what's the problem here? You know, they're, they're not even aware that maybe there's a better way to do it or that there is, in fact, a problem that you can help them solve. So the question really is, how do you go about enlightening these people about something that they're probably not even really thinking about? Before we talk about how we go about it, let's talk about the most important word, and that is who. Who are we talking to? Right? And I'm I'm not going to you know, sort of give off titles because, you know, people involved in email creation, titles will change from industry to industry and company to company. But if we think about that seminal book on technology marketing, Crossing the Chasm, that came out a number of years ago, among the brilliant things that the author Jeffrey Moore offered was you need to create a critical mass of early adopters. And when you create enough of them, you're then able to, as the title suggests, cross the chasm and have big dynamic market growth. Well, if you will, let me try and, and paint a verbal picture. Those early adopters are in the classic upper right-hand quadrant. On the opposite end, there are people who don't think they have a problem and aren't even aware of, let alone maybe even care that there is an alternative. And in between, there are, you know, if you will, the, the other two quadrants that remain. There are people who don't think they have a problem, but, you know, maybe they think that there is an alternative to do what they're doing 
in, in a better way. And then there are those who realize they have a problem, but don't really know about a, pro a, a solution. So our aim is to really help them understand that what they're doing, they may be doing in the best way possible, but they can advance the process by embracing all that is represented by what the Stencil email creation platform is. And so we are talking to each of those groups, not differently, but uniformly. Because the premise here is by making them aware of, of the problems associated with what they're doing, as opposed to saying you're wrong, but by educating them, receptivity of what we're saying will come in stages, right? Those guys on the bottom left-hand quadrant who see no problem and see no solution, they're going to take some time. But the other two, especially those who think they don't have a problem, but or rather, uh, and maybe think that there's a solution, or those who, you know, realize they have a problem but are not aware of a solution, their receptivity will be a little bit faster. And they'll, they'll raise their hand and say, tell me more a little bit sooner. And the early adopter type will embrace it all that much more quickly. And the idea is if you kind of see the effort is help them understand what they're doing takes too much time. It's too complicated. It's just too hard and it doesn't need to be, right? And, and so that's what we're doing. We're focusing on who are we trying to talk to? We're talking to people who are doing something who think this is the only way to do it. And then there are some people who say, well, this is the way I'm doing it, but you know, it really is a difficult way of going about it. And, so, and then if you will, all those who say, this is not the way I want to do it. I want to find another way. And that's the process. You cannot say to somebody, you have a problem if they don't realize they have a problem. And I, I will sort of wrap it in a bow by saying, in effect, we're really not talking about educating. We are talking about changing behavior. And anybody will tell you that changing behavior takes time. Doesn't changing behavior also require some degree of education? Well, obviously, by helping them come to understand what they're doing is not the best way. Yes, that is very much a form of education. But what I'm mm -hmm. talking about really is the last thing we should be doing is lecturing to people. Right. You don't want to obviously come across as condescending or take people who've been, you know, successful in whatever business they're doing and say, hey, you're doing it all wrong. You know, or at least you're doing the email part of it all wrong. You're likely to get a response of like, well, who the hell are you? You know, we're, we're fine. Jeremy, you make a really important point. And the point that we pivot on is to realize that these people got where they got because they know what they're doing. We want to help them move along and make an even bigger contribution to the organizations that they're a part of. So give, give us some examples of how you do that. Well, I think the one thing is we talk to them in a way that recognizes that what they're doing takes some skill, some knowledge. It's a little bit like the the last act on the old old fashioned TV variety show where he had to get all the dishes spinning at the same time. You know, making emails is not easy. And the other is is that companies, especially in a B two B circumstance, are using email even more. 
So the pressure put upon these people to perform, to create more emails and pushing them out at higher volumes is not easy. So the way we're, we're talking to these folks is to be empathetical, is to have them realize that we understand what they're going through. We point out what their realities are like on a day-to-day basis. And if you will, contrast that with how their days can change by embracing stencil. That sounds like an important point in any B2B context, really, and maybe just in any sales context, but especially B2B. You have to earn the trust of the person that you hope that you hope will become your customer. If they don't trust you, they're definitely not going to become your customer. And I think the way you're putting that is really interesting that in your case, at least, the part of the way you earn that trust is by just by demonstrating that you understand who these people are and what they deal with day to day. And like you said, it's empathy. You just, you understand it. You get what it is they're doing and why, and why they do that and why it's important. Let me draw an analogy of sorts from the world of newspaper. The toughest section to write for is the sports section because everybody who reads that knows as much about the team, maybe even more than the person writing the story. So when we're presenting what the email creator, the email marketer's life is like, we can't blow smoke in these in, in their faces. We have to have to show that not only are we empathetical, but we're genuine in our empathy. And I think the other is, is that you can't just offer hyperbole. Uh, remember, this is a business of business. So when we're educating, when we're helping to change behavior, when we're being empathetical and genuine, we're also providing proof points in the sense that we're talking about our customers who in effect are early adopters and pointing out how when we say we can make your email creation process more efficient, we provide facts, data points, quotes from customers. When we say we give you more time to do strategy, we point out how people were given time to refine their messaging, to do things like segmentation and personalization, which are all known to improve dramatically the performance of an email. And so we also use their language. And I think that's an important part to your point about trust. You know, if I'm talking with someone and I want to gain their trust, if I use the lexicon of their world, they'll feel more that I'm part of their world. And so we can have a more open and candid dialogue in the process. Great point. So, because I do want to dive a bit more into sort of the nitty gritty of actual messaging, you know, what that looks like. And of course, the literally the words you use, the language you use is really important. Now, you made a distinction between empathy and genuine empathy, right? Which kind of suggests that uh, there's a difference. You know, uh, there is such a thing as sort of playing at it or Maybe faking is too harsh a word, but you know what I mean? That there are levels of empathy that you can demonstrate. So how do you, or maybe you can give, give an example of some messaging that you use that uses this language in a way that really resonates so that it doesn't come across as some vendor that wants to sell us stuff that is kind of aping our language as opposed to, you know, this is a vendor that's very naturally talking the way that we talk you know, in a kind of flowing way. Like I, I would think that it's important to be able to do that. Like, so how do you, what does it take to get to that point? 
Well, you know, regardless of the form that it takes, whatever your content marketing asset happens to be, we find that to your point about, you know, using the terms of the space, in this case, email creation, it's also about being conversational, not using big words, right? I mean, make it in a sense where the ability for the person to grasp your message is as easy as possible. Even though I'm somebody who spends a lot of time with words, I don't expect somebody to read a 20-page ebook, or, you know, word for word cover, you know, first page to last page. So what we, to your point about how do we engage them, is our term is we call it chunkify. And, and that is to break things up in a way that it just makes it easier to grasp and have people say, yeah, I can relate to that, right? And from a design standpoint, it may be having different sizes of type. It may be using diagrams. It may be using, you know, large visuals. You know, yes, even in content marketing, a picture, you know, tells a story uh, oftentimes better and faster than a thousand words. So it's a blend of things. I also think that what we do in everything we do in terms of content marketing, in terms of messaging, is not just, is when I say conversation, it's, like, it's what you and I are having right now. I'm talking with you. You're talking with me. It's not we, it's not I, it's not them. It's making it as personal and direct as possible, right? Don't be afraid to use the word you in a marketing construct, right? Because what you're saying to them, to your point about having them realize that you're you know, with them, it's like, this guy gets me. If you say you can fill in the blank and it's valid and supportable, then the person hearing, watching, reading is going to be more favorably disposed to hearing more, to learning more, to maybe even buying more. The direct address, the you, right, can be very powerful when used the right way. And I'm, I'm really glad you, you brought up conversation because I'm just sort of fascinated by that. Of course, you're right. That's what we're doing right now, right? That's one thing that I like so much about podcasting. It's in the interview format, right? It's, it's a conversation. And what I like about conversations, both engaging them in them and listening to a conversation, you know, just as a listener, is it's two people exploring an idea together. You know, there's something about in order for a conversation to work, you have to say things and explain things in a way that the other person can immediately and easily grasp. And that also, but it's it's not out of context. It's It's within the context of the thing you're talking about, right? So what I'm saying right now is in response to what you just said. And I'm not saying it just to hear myself talk. I'm sort of exploring what you just said. And now I'll be interested to hear like, okay, well, what, what did you have to say in response to the idea that I'm expressing right now, right? I'm getting kind of technical about it, but I think when you break it down, that's like what a conversation is and at its best, why it can be so compelling. Part of a conversation and sometimes the best conversations involve challenge. If I put something forward to you that challenges your thinking, I'm then expected to provide for want of a better term, a logical argument to support my point of view. So if you will, we put out an ebook a couple of months ago that was essentially aimed at helping a leader of an email team be a better leader. 
how they can, if you will, put on the mantle of executive leadership within the confines of an email marketing team, right? Does that have anything to do with an email creation platform? No. But if it leads to that and the person is with me along the way, what's happening is, is that I've challenged their thinking or in the case of the executive lead leadership, I've said, I've touched on something that you may not necessarily feel as confident about that or as it regards a skill set or something like that. I believe that I can help you do what you do better. And then further, I can help you and your team do what you do better. So it's a case of, of having a conversation where, again, that word you comes up, where I am really talking about how I want to help you, in this case, be a better leader. And then once I take you through that, I then say, how can I help you now that you're a better leader, help your team? And the way to do that is to utilize an email creation platform. So the nature of, of a conversation is certainly back and forth, but to use a sports analogy, it's not baseline tennis where you're banging the ball back to me and I'm banging it back to you. There's a mixture and there's an ebb and a flow. And there's a way that keeps things going because as I say something, something occurs to you and you want to ask me a question based on that, on that thought, or you want to ask me to, to delve a little deeper into a point that I've made. And so, while this may not sound like something central to marketing, or as you said, highly technical, it's very central to content marketing because if you will, regardless of the form of the asset, it's a conversation, whether it's an ebook, whether it's a drip campaign, whether it's a blog post, it's a conversation. And if you can come away from the conversation that we've just had feeling better about what you've heard or feeling better about yourself because of what you've heard, that's a positive. Or, you know, in a marketing context, you said, you might say feeling better and also feeling like I've learned to think about this in a new way, or that's kind of challenge and assumption I had, you know, or, or I want to learn more about that. That actually sparked because whatever it was I engaged with, whether it's an ebook or an, an actual live conversation, it was conducted in a way, kind of shaped in a way that what spoke directly to my interests, but didn't just tell me what I already know or sort of what I want to hear. It told me things I don't already know in a way that was really interesting and made me want to know more. And, and you kind of summarized how you need to get people to become aware of a problem they didn't realize they even had. You need to, I think, ideally, you need to draw it out of them. So you're not just telling them, hey, get, you, you have this problem. You didn't even know it. You engage in conversation to the point where they're articulating the problem, that they're discovering it. If you say to them, you have a problem, all that, all that does is create resistance. There is another element here that, that we really haven't touched on yet. And that is that the people we're talking to are marketers. It's really tough to market to a marketer because they kind of do what we do. You will do yourself a great deal of harm if you underestimate the intelligence of the people you're talking with. You know, and, and as I said earlier, there's going to be a spectrum. There are going to be people who are absolutely resistant to anything you have to say to them. And then there are going to be people who be wide open to what you have to say to them. 
but all of them are intelligent and all of them understand how to do what they're doing. So, you know, you used the word earlier about you don't want to con be condescending to them. You, you also don't want to suggest to them, and you, you touched on this as, all, as well, you don't want to suggest to them that they don't know something or they don't know how to do something, right? You know, ignorance or lack of knowledge does not make you less intelligent. It just makes you less informed. You don't want to tell people how to do their business as somebody sort of coming from the outside. I mean, you have to earn the right to, to have that discussion. Absolutely. And we, you know, all of us at Stencil would not pretend to say to any of our prospects, regardless of the size of their business, and our target group tends to be mid-market to large-scale enterprises, we're not about to say, oh, you would be much more of a company today, you know, if you had been using us, you know, sooner. It's a case where we're, we're trying to help them, you know, get to the next level. Where they've gotten to thus far is always recognized and complimented. Yeah, 100%. Well, Steve, there's so much more we could talk about, but I'm afraid we have to wrap things up. Thank you so much for your time and for a really great conversation. I, felt, I feel like I learned something. I had fun. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-Versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.